Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is the Great Big History Podcast. In this episode, we do the Western democracies in the 1930s and their response. So we have the U.S., Britain, and France. And they're between the two pillars of fascism on the right, communism on the left, both of which look more successful than Western democratic capitalism. What they emphasized was individual choice. Work harder. Save money. The idea that you made your choices to work, to act, just get a job. This was known as rugged individualism in America. Just find a job. Do anything. A real man works and finds work. So move. Go somewhere else. Now the problem was the economy didn't work like that. There was no other job. There was nowhere to go. Capitalism collapsed. It was over. It was done. And so that that philosophy, which was the traditional conservative philosophy, the, the Republican philosophy, one that we still use today to, to yell at poor people, just get a job. Don't be on welfare. Don't be on the dole. No one's going to give you anything. you got to go and get it. Was met with the Hooverville, the shantytown, the soup kitchen, by the sheer size that you could not ignore of poverty. Massive poverty, unemployment. And what rugged individual got you was also underemployment. Their economy wasn't producing the jobs. The economy was collapsing, was shrinking. There was simply nowhere to go. This, this is the grapes of wrath. This is the hobos on the train. So you had individual choice versus the Hooverville. You had the old philosophy of depend on yourself, depend on your church, depend on your neighbors versus the sheer size of poverty, unprecedented industrial poverty that you couldn't ignore. It was everywhere. It affected everything. And into this mess comes Keynesian economics. So, 1929, 1930, 1931, there is this, this action, this, was going to shut down the empires. We're going we're to not spend money. We're going to cut back on welfare. We're going to cut back on our expenses. We're going to save money. We're going to have less taxes and spend less. And we're going to run like a family, like, like conservatives will talk about in 2009. And what happened? Disaster. Absolute disaster. I cannot emphasize the disaster enough. And yes, you get fanboys on Twitter who are like, the depression wasn't so bad. And you're like, oh my God, we have the bloodiest war man has ever fought because of it. It was horrible. Nobody wants to live through it again. 
Nobody. We spent 10, the Fed spent $10 trillion, is still spending money since 2008 in order not to have a second Great Depression. That's how bad it was. The Depression is so bad, we have Hitler. So yeah, the fanboys are like, it's not so bad. 75% of the economy was still working. No, it wasn't. No, it just wasn't. Talk. You can't even talk to an old person anymore. There is no old person. If you can find them and go, how was the depression? Who is going to say, oh, you know what? It was awesome. My grandmother would not eat pancakes. Why? Because... That's what she ate during the Depression. Because you can make flour, and you can add water, and add water, and add water, and you just make it thinner, and thinner, and thinner. And that's what you ate. I knew old people who never threw anything out ever again. They kept everything. Oh, why do you have 45 wire hangers from the the, uh, dry cleaning place? Uncle, great uncle. Well, you never know when they might come in use. You, you could just go to Walmart, buy more. Uh, but they give you these for free. Yeah. The idea that you would throw out your phone every two years? No one who lived through the Depression does that. It completely changed. How the entire society worked. And so I cannot emphasize the absolute it's it's called depression for a reason. We don't even want to use that word anymore. We were in a depression. It wasn't a recession. We call it the Great Recession. It was a depression, but we can't use that word. We, could, we didn't even have the language for economics. We still don't. We had to use psychology. That's how massive this was. It is the utter destruction of everything people thought how things worked. And into this comes Keynesian economics, who says, no, 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 don't act like Ted Cruz says you have to act. Don't do that. That's disaster. Do the opposite. And people went, what? They're like, spend money. The government should raise taxes, should spend money, as much money as it can get its hands on. Print money. Spend it. And they're like, why? Why would you do that? And the answer is that the government is the employer of last resort, that the government, because it can make money, because it has taxation power, can always get its hands on more money. So it can always spend money. And so the government can pump money into the system to give people jobs. If people have jobs, they'll have income. If they have income, they'll buy stuff. If they buy stuff, more people will get jobs. If more people have jobs, they'll make money and they'll buy stuff and then they'll make more jobs. Ken's uh, 
Keynes said, in a depression, you pay a man to dig a hole and another man to fill it. And conservatives, even today, will say, oh, my God, that's idiotic. You have to save money. No, because if no one has money, they can't spend it. What Keynesian economics understood was that the world had changed from the Industrial Revolution to a consumer revolution. Consumers drove the economy, not creators, not industrial factories. Keynes saw what the 50s were going to be, what today is. Why do you buy an Apple iPhone every two years? Apple wants you to buy an iPhone. You go, hey, the battery just started to die. Why? I've had it only two years. Because they want it to die. So you buy another $1,000 phone. So that you can, that $1,000 can pay for the stock and pay for the profits and pay for the workers and pay for the the cost of making the thing. That what Keynesian economics understood was you had to you, that it was countercyclical. That governments had to work countercyclical. So when you have a depression and there's less money, governments need to spend more money. And look what happened. Look at what happened in 2007, 2008, 2009. Governments, especially conservative governments, cut back on teachers, cut back on, on, on cops, cut back on fire, cut back on services, cut back on construction. They cut back. And those states suffered more. Because if you're a teacher, right? Yes, you're paid by the government. So we're going to cut. And even in, in northern places, they cut their pay. In New Jersey, the average teacher is making 4% less than they should. They took a 4% hit because what New Jersey did was not raise taxes and then spend it. They cut taxes as well because of Chris Christie and a more uh, conservative. And uh, even the Democrats were more conservative because they looked at it and went, oh, my God, we can't ask people for more money. People need the money. But what happened was now you're not paying the teacher. So now I can't go to the restaurant. So since I can't go to the restaurant, the restaurant doesn't need as many waiters and waitresses. So they fire the waiter and waitress, which means they don't have money to go to a different restaurant or to go to Walmart. And then you have to fire those people. And it continues and continues and continues. In a depression, what you want to do, what the government wants to do, is give as many people money as possible. Because if you give people more money, they'll spend it. And if they spend it, now the restaurant has to hire more people instead of cutting back people. If they hire more people, they'll make more money. If they make more money, they will go and spend more money. And that's the way you get out of the depression. You cannot save your way. It is not like a family at all. Large economics don't work like families at all. All. It makes sense, it, but it's completely counterintuitive. If anyone ever says uh, governments should act like families, you have, they have no idea what they're talking about. Absolutely none. And they just told you they have no idea. So anything else that comes after that about economics, you know is BS because they don't understand what the hell is going on because governments don't work like that. They work the opposite. They have to work the opposite.
And so what you get is massive infrastructure. The Hoover Dam, I mean, not only is it a lot of stuff, it's big stuff. The Hoover Dam is like the biggest dam ever built, one of those kind of dams. Electricity in rural areas. They said, hey, all of those farms in the south that have no electricity, we're going to run the electricity lines. We're going to build power plants. We're going to electrify the whole freaking south. And people said, okay, imagine doing that now. We're going to run Google, you know, two, two gigabit fiber into every house in America for free. Imagine that. Yeah, it will help the economy. Yeah, it would quintuple the speed of the internet. Yeah, it makes everything more efficient. But are you are anybody going to do that now? You can't even get Google fiber to come to Philly. Much less string up all the wire across all the all the rural South and Midwest. But they did it in the Depression. Why? To give people jobs. They build, they're going to build highways and continue to build highways in the 50s. Then there's war. Because you'll get these people who are like, the New Deal didn't actually end the Depression. It was the war. Well, no shit. What do you think the war is? It's a giant Keynesian economic flood of money. World War II created soldiers, all of whom got paid. It created massive amounts of supplies. 40% of the gross domestic product of the United States went to war. That's equivalent to $5 trillion a year today for four years. Like, yes, the war ends the Great Depression because the war is the largest stimulus package ever invented. The amount of money the United States is going to spend on the Second World War is, you cannot fathom it. It is, it is mind-boggling. The numbers are just massive compared to what happened before. And they're not just going to spend it on war. They're going to spend it on the arts, on culture, on entertainment. Basically, everything in the 30s is going to have some form of money coming from the federal government. That famous photo of the Depression-era woman with her hand on, on her, her fist looking off into the middle distance, paid for by a government grant to photographers to record what life was like in the rural America. Artists, poetry, plays, all are going to be paid for in some way, shape, or form. This is, if, you, if you're like, wait a minute, this is kind of fascist. Yeah, it totally is. It's not communist where the government owns it, but it's flooding the money. It's flooding everywhere with money. Artists have time, and we need to create entertainment for people. And so mass, just unbelievable massive amounts of money. Now you go, well, where did it come from? Well, you couldn't buy anything. And once the war starts, there is no buying of anything. You couldn't get gasoline. You couldn't get aluminum. You couldn't get steel. You could, couldn't buy a refrigerator. You couldn't buy anything in the 40s. The economy went to war. That's what it, that's what it did. And so you bought war bonds. And so what the United States doesn't do is doesn't plunder its own people. It borrows from it. And it's going to print. Massive. 
massive amounts of money, massive amounts of money, but it's also going to borrow it. Savings, war bonds, government bonds. It's going to be like, you can't spend anything on anything anyway. Give us the money. We'll invest it. Here's a bond. You give it back to us in 10 or 15 years. We'll give you more money for it. And he went, okay, because I could trust that. that. The government's not going down. I don't think. Maybe. But we're going to give money so that it doesn't go down. So you, they create, Britain, France, and the United States, even the United States, create the welfare state. The modern welfare state as we understand it today. Where to save capitalism from its worst abuses, the very same abuses that got you communism in the Soviet Union and fascism in Germany and Italy, we're going to create the welfare state. We're going to tell businesses, cut it out. We're going to regulate you like you have never been regulated before. And it turns out since. We're going to protect people from sick cycles of capitalism, the booms and the bust that were happening at this point every 15 to 20 years. And now they happen every 10 years. We've had a boom and a bust every 10 years in my lifetime. We had stagflation in the 70s. We had uh, the Reagan boom followed by the recession and the SNL, the savings and loan collapse, which wiped out most banks, most big banks in the Midwest in the 80s. Then we had the boom of the Clinton 90s, followed by the internet bubble, tech burst, boom. Down of the early 2000s, followed by the war economy of the early 2000s and the, the credit economy. Dude, American Express, at one point I had a credit card that American Express gave me that had a limit of $45,000. I was a graduate student. I was writing my dissertation. I was a part-time adjunct professor, and I had a credit limit on one card of $45,000. No wonder things were good in 2005. So if anyone ever goes to you and goes, well, in 2005, the economy grew at 3.5%, you go, well, yeah, a professor I know who wasn't yet a professor who earned $12,000 that year had a $45,000 credit limit on one card. And he had more than one card because he lives in America. And you know what happened in 2008? Woof. That credit got slashed right, right to within a, within five dollars of whatever the limit was, whatever not the limit, whatever my balance was. Which wasn't too bad, but it went right down. They cut took all that credit away. American Express cut everything, which also means I couldn't spend money, which also meant that the local Wawa couldn't employ as many people as they could, should have. So as American Express tried to protect itself because it was stupid, it also helped make the recession worse by cutting back on all the credit on people that now that they needed the credit to help the economy they couldn't get their hands on. 
so in my lifetime, I've gone through a, a, a boom or a bust every 10 years. So I've already, I'm already moved my retirement or tried to move my retirement into places to protect me from the next bust because it's coming. And when you see things like, let's get rid of bank regulations on the New York Times and Washington Post and conservatives are like, hey, life is great. Why do we need bank regulations? Why? Because every 10 years, there's a bust. And the welfare state was invented to protect people from that. So you get health care in Europe. You get strong unions everywhere to negotiate pay because either the government's going to tell corporations what to do or workers are going to do it. And the unions were the middle ground. Unions with government support would negotiate with corporations. That's kept the government from owning it or the government, like in communism, or the government from dictating what your labor practices were going to be, like in fascism. So you get strong unions to negotiate pay. The government doesn't do it. The union does it. But the unions also knew they had government support because what the government doesn't want is communism or fascism. So the government supported the unions because the unions were better than anarchy, communism, or fascism. So you look at conservatives today in the in the late 20th century, the early 21st century, and they hate unions, where do they think we're going to end up? The working man just voted for Donald Trump, who promised to destroy banks and rearrange the economy. Now, he hasn't done it, but he promised a revolution for the working man. He said, your unions have failed you, mostly because they've been broken by Republicans, and we're going to change that. Now, he hasn't done it, but he promised that, and that's how he got 60-plus million votes, especially, and how he won in the upper Midwest, in Michigan, in Ohio, in Indiana, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in places that should go Democrat, because the Democrats support unions. So why are they going Republican? Because those people don't feel, even if they are union, they don't feel that the government, the Democratic government, they know Republicans aren't supporting them or out to destroy their unions, but they don't feel that the Democratic governments support them anymore, have their back. And so here comes Donald Trump who says, yeah, I'm kind of a Republican, but really, I'm for you. I'm a populist. I'm going to smash all this stuff which makes him kind of a fascist, just so, in our definitions, just so you understand. He hasn't gone full fascist, but he toys around with the language of it, which makes sense. So when actual fascists and Nazis march in like Charlottesville, he doesn't call them out because he goes, oh, they're kind of decent people. Because they sound reasonable. Which says you're you're in the neighborhood of fascism. So you have strong unions to negotiate pay. The banks are going to be protected. Government-backed securities, the FDIC. See, uh, you don't know this, but up until the 30s, if a bank was an investment, 
So if a bank went under, you lost your money in it. It was gone. Poof. And so when banks start going under, there's a run in the banks. Get your money out because if you lose it, it's gone. It's like investing in a company. It's like investing in a tech company in 1999. You're like, hey, pets.com, here's my $10,000. Poof. Gone. Oh, pets.com, two weeks later, declares bankruptcy. Done. It's over. You've lost your $10,000. And you go, but, but what happened to my 10000 And they go, well, it was an investment, man. It's like gambling. Sorry. Banks were like gambling. And that in- blew up the economy right there. Because people pulled their money out of the banks, which means the banks can't loan money. If they can't loan money, businesses can't open. Businesses can't pay their workers. Uh, uh, companies can't buy big things on credit. And the economy just collapsed. So in comes the government saying, we'll back it. Don't worry. Up to one hundred and twenty-five or 150000 and it then went up. It's probably like 200000 It might have been $100,000, but it was a lot of money. Basically, for almost everybody in America, the amount of money that they would protect in one bank account was basically your life savings. And the idea was, leave it there. Don't worry. If the bank does things that you don't understand and goes out of business, that's okay. Your money didn't, didn't go anywhere. In fact, we're going to give that money. The government will come in. We're going to take all those assets. We're going to move it probably to the bank next door, a completely different bank, but a nearby bank. And you, in a day or two, can go in, get your money. It's okay. So they're going to protect the banks. Banks are no longer an investment. They're a security blanket. They're a place to put your money. So you're not putting it. I had an aunt who put her money literally into her mattress. She didn't trust banks because she lived through the Depression. And she always feared that that could happen again. That, well, how do I know the government is really going to keep its word? The answer is because it's in its interest to keep its word because if all the banks go under, look at what happened in 2007, and you don't get back your money, you're going to have a revolution on your hands. But she stuffed her money into the mattress. Better to have it there. At least it's there. At least it's money. This is why um, if you ever go on Fox News during the day, they're always selling gold. Gold, gold, gold. Why? Because money is made of paper. It's only money because the government says it's money. It's, it's worthless otherwise. But gold, gold will always be worth something to somebody in the, you know, up until the zombie apocalypse. Now, what I find funny is that they say, oh, gold will be worth money in the apocalypse. No, it won't. Because in the apocalypse, the people you run into aren't going to care for your gold, for, you, for their food. They'll just kill you, take your gold. So it's not going to help you in the apocalypse. The problem with gold is it's, it's hard to move. Not a lot of places take gold. And it doesn't increase in value all that much compared to, say, a stock or a bond. But that's not the point. The point is that it's secure. You can hold gold. It's shiny. It's gold. It, w- it will always have value. Except the zombies. Mortgages are going to become government-backed. The government-backed 30-year mortgage. 
the government will back it. Even if you lose your job and can't necessarily make your payments, government's got your back. That's not for all mortgages, but it's the idea that you won't lose your home. That it was in the government's interest to help back mortgages. Um, this will transform into Fetty, uh, Freddie, and Fa- Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, where the government will subsidize the mortgage rather than back it. But this was the 30s, so things are different. Um, old people will get Social Security, as will sick people. And disabled people will get Social Security, so they don't live in poverty. Now, something like 40%, in 1930, 40% of old, old people lived in poverty. And by old, we mean like people over 60. So the definition of old has changed, but over 60 was old in 1930. And the idea was they lived in poverty. They had to rely on their kids. And so Social Security was to say, you are going to be guaranteed enough money that you don't have to work. You can stop working. Between some savings and this money, you'll have enough that you don't have to work. And we want you to retire. We don't want an old person. We don't want a woman who's 68 years old working a cash register at McDonald's. We don't want that. That's a young person's job. If she's working that, a young person doesn't have that. And the problem with it is young people burn stuff down. Old people don't. And so we want young people to have jobs. Old people don't join gangs. They join the AARP. Young people without jobs join gangs and burn shit down. People who are in the gun debate right now who yell at me on Twitter and like, well, Chicago, 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 Chicago has gun laws and they have violence in South Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, but those kids don't have jobs. Or their jobs are in illegal industries and they're killing each other over that. They're at war. And they're bringing in the guns from Indiana, which has almost no laws regarding guns. So stop. But the idea is they need jobs. They don't have jobs. They join gangs. They join gangs. They commit violence. Young people burn stuff down. Young people become fascists. Young people lead revolution. Ultimately, what the welfare state tries to do is disconnect unemployment from morality. See, up to now, you have the Protestant work ethic, Max Weber's Protestant work ethic, and you've got the deserving and undeserved, you've got the undeserving poor from the 1520s. You take these Protestant Reformation ideas about why people are poor. Why? Because they don't work. They're lazy. They're parasites on hardworking people. We still have that today. We still have it today. Can't give people welfare. Why? Because it will make them lazy, because they won't want to work. Have you been on welfare? It sucks. You know what the problem with welfare is? You don't have enough money. So, what the welfare state tries to do is break that tie. And it's able to do it why? Because everybody was poor. Everybody's unemployed in 1932. The capitalism had ended, had imploded. So 
everybody can't be lazy. 40% of Germans can't be lazy. 25% of American of Americans can't be lazy. They can't all. Everybody's poor. Everybody's unemployed. Everybody you knew was unemployed. You couldn't all be lazy. And so it was to break unemployment from morality. That it was the system. And this is a this is the communism. This is the communist victory in all of this. A lot of this is the capitalist fascist victory. But the unemployment that's not tied to morality is the communist victory here. The idea that the system let you down. You worked hard. But forces beyond your control have made you unemployed. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Up to this point, if you were poor, people said it's your fault. With the welfare state in the 1930s, it's saying it's not your fault. The system was broken. And you'll still see this. You saw this in 2009. People blaming the... Well, if you just paid your mortgage, blaming black people, right? If black people just paid their mortgages, well, well, how about you don't sell them a giant balloon payment that you knew they couldn't afford? How about you take responsibility, big old bank? You didn't want to see their, their income. You didn't want to see their savings. You didn't want to even know if they had a job. You just wanted their signature so that you could sell it to another bank on Wall Street, make your money, go have a vacation in the Bahamas. Where's your... Don't be righteously indignant that black people didn't pay their mortgages. White people didn't pay their mortgages either. Trillions of dollars of wealth went poof in 2007. People have already forgotten that. Already forgotten. I remember, and this is what the Depression must have been like, or going into it in 1929. I remember being up and listening, being awake, when Tokyo, when the Tokyo Stock Exchange opened. Because I wanted to know what it would do in the first hour. Because if it was down... I knew the stock exchanges in Europe would be down. And if the stock exchanges in Europe were going to be down, New York was going to be down. The NASDAQ was going to be down. And guess what? You'd, you'd be awake, and it'd be 2 o'clock in the morning, and you'd hear down 900 points, whatever the equivalent was of 900 points, a massive amount, down 5%. And you'd be like, oh my God. And it was 5% and 3% and 2% and 5% every day. And then Europe was down. Frankfurt. London. And then New York would open and it'd be down a thousand points. And you'd be like, oh my God. I remember going to get a cup of coffee in Haddonfield. And got a cup of coffee and I sat down to do some grading. And at the table next to me was a guy talking to his accountant. And the guy went, I don't understand what happened to my 401k? And the guy, the accountant said, you just lost in the last month $100,000. And the guy goes, what do you mean I lost it? Where did it go? And he kind of went, well, all these stocks are down. And he's like, but why? 
He couldn't fathom what was happening. He had a number, and he relied on that number, and that number went poof, and that was the 30s. And that's going to explain the 50s. Because people are going to want to hold on to a thing that is stable. Because in the 30s, it went poof. You realized capitalism isn't real. It's just made up. Economics is just made up. That so much of our systems are just made up. They went poof and gone. And that job you thought you were going to have, that income you were relying upon went poof and you had no idea why. Ultimately, the welfare state is about not revolting. Don't revolt. Don't go communist. The amazing thing about the welfare state is it is going to tax the bejesus out of firms. It is going to raise... Uh, we, we today have a capital interest rate. What, what the, the amount of money you pay on investments at like 15%. Our highest tax rate is what, 38%? In 1932, the highest income tax rate was 91%. 90% for the richest 1% of Americans. The government took everything. Took 90%, nine cents on, 90 cents on the dollar. Now, you still lived a real good life if you were a Vanderbilt, if you were a Carnegie. You had plenty of money if you were a rich guy. And they took 90%. Why? And why did people support it? You'd have a revolt today of rich people. You can't get anywhere near. We just gave. We just passed a tax cut in 2018 of a trillion and a half dollars and gave it almost all to rich people. Why were rich people willing to accept such high taxes in 1932? Because the alternative was communism or fascism. And fascism, they might survive. Communism would cut their heads off and bury them. Take their industry, divide it up among the people, and that was the end of it. And fascism, you still had to deal with the government, which had all the guns. And so owners of industry, the government supported this as a way of not going communist. It's also urban-centric. The welfare state is incredibly urban-centric. It's trying to solve urban discontent. It's trying to keep unemployed workers in cities from revolting. That means workers on farms in the countryside, small towns, got hurt. Or didn't get the attention. They didn't necessarily get the help. This is the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma in the Midwest. The Okies, who end up in California. Black people who migrated first out of the South to the Midwest and from the Midwest to the Far West looking for work. But money is going to be showered on Chicago, New York, Philly, Boston, D.C., to keep urban people from revolting. So on our next episode, we're going to talk about art. So thank you for coming along on this ride. Um, it's pretty terrible so far. Um, we're trying to deal with, with, with this, the solutions to why 
What do you do when the economy you relied upon implodes and ceases to exist? So we have communism, fascism, and the welfare state. Democratic, Western democracies, welfare state. Now the one that will win is the welfare state, which is still with us. In our next episode, we're going to talk about art, popular culture in America and in the Soviet Union.